Welcome to today's podcast by Preacher, as he provides sound teaching on the pure and undiluted truth of God's Word, with life application that inspires you to live a holy life pleasing to God. We pray that these teachings will inspire you to live out your faith daily with confidence, be assured of your salvation in Christ, and God's unconditional love for you. will be taken from the book of Luke, the 23rd chapter, beginning with the 39th verse. One of the criminals who were hanged riled at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God since you under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingly power. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, then Jesus, crying with a loud voice, said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Lord, help us to understand something of the spirit of this man that died with Christ so we can prepare our lives more perfectly today. The last weeks we have been thinking about the last days of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've been thinking about those men and women that were spotlighted by his existence and the relationship that they had with, with him. And the only reason why we remember them in all probability is simply because they did have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then this response that they made to him we remember them. The crooks who died with him. How did it happen that the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified with two crooks? Is it a possibility of being just a casual, normal thing? Maybe the captain of the guards, the, of the soldiers, simply said, uh, looking at the list and saying that he had two more people that he would have to crucify and put to death, said simply to his men, well, let's make a complete uh, day of it and so we won't have to come back tomorrow. Let's just crucify all three of them at the same time and be finished with this uh, rotten deal. Maybe that's the way that it was. Or could it have been something of a more of a sinister plot? Those who hated the Lord Jesus Christ so very viciously wanted to have him identified with the crooks. And so in order to degrade him and to color and, and blacken his name even more, that they had him killed along with these crooks. It could have been a hideous way to try to even to send the Lord Jesus Christ farther down in the eyes of the people than he already was. This business of being crucified was a, a hideous way to die. It was a death without any dignity about it at all because you not only the suffering uh, that was uh, in it, uh, 
the way that the Romans crucified, the body was completely stripped of all clothing, suspended between heaven and earth, and lifted up in that type of position uh, for all the world to see. Completely denied of any dignity that could have been left uh, to a man. And this is the way that our blessed Lord died in this fashion. Now when you take a look at the three crosses, a quick look at it will tell you that there's many things about the cross and these men are one and the same. They have much in common. But when you really stop to look at the cross and begin to see them for what they are, you wonder why in the first place that you even thought that there was a lot of likeness about these three people and the cross on which they died because they're completely different. Some years ago, a lady of the church bought a book written by a Methodist preacher in England by the name of Sangster. He's dead now, died a few years ago. But a great, a brilliant theologian. It's a little book, maybe only about 150 pages. But the title of that book, uh, as uh, he penned it, was uh, They Met at the Cross. And a lady bought it and gave it to me to read, and it was a very meaningful book to me. And in one of the chapters that uh, he is talking about, uh, these two uh, thieves that died with the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, he called my attention to the fact that there are three really distinct crosses when you begin to look at them, uh, that uh, every one that names the name of the Lord Jesus Christ ought to take a good look at and see what the meaning of these things really are. And so this morning... I would like to mention one of the distinctions that Sangster makes in relation to the cross. He speaks of this one guy that died with the Lord Jesus Christ and talks of his cross as the cross of rebellion. The cross of rebellion. Now I would enlarge upon that by asking a simple question. I wonder by what path this man came to the cross. This man that was so bitter. This man that died in hate. This man that died with a curse on his lips. Where did it all start? From what place? Where did he put his foot upon this path that led to the cross and to crucifixion? Could it have been that this man came from a bad home? That is, he was never given the opportunity to know the difference between what was right and what was wrong. He was never taught what was bad and what was good. He was never taught how to he should properly respond to life. Maybe that was his problem. Or could it have been that he had a good home, but from his youth up he went into rejection and rebellion. And anything that his parents tried to teach him or tell him about life, he refused completely and totally until at last he found that he is in this place embittered by life and dying in a cursed way. Could it be that he started a venture and it failed? And then he was disillusioned by, by life and went from one thing to another until at last he began to steal and for this he was caught. And in refusing to work and thinking that he could outsmart society finally finds that he is in this place to be crucified as a common criminal. 
You know, I've often thought about these people within our society that have this type of nature and this frame of mind. These folk who look at every problem and difficulty that comes to them as being something that is greater than comes to anyone else or anybody else. Thinking of these people who look at these problems and difficulties and feel so sorry for themselves, thinking that society owes them something or that life owes them something, and then they go about it in an evil way trying to get even with our society or bring a living uh, from it. Beloved, we need to take a real good look at, the, at this situation because, you see, there are people who never see trouble and difficulty other than trouble and difficulty. They can never see a problem other than something that should happen to someone else and not to them. Why do we fight the hand of God? Why do we fight the, the normal things that come to us in life to the extent that we cannot see the hand of God around about it? Now this past week I had a unique experience that I've ever had within my life. It's not a very great one, but one that causes me to ponder the greatness of life. A man coming to our city from up in Illinois and he's a businessman hadn't seen him for a while and he invited me out for breakfast I went and had breakfast with him and we went back to his uh, motel and as he checked in by the desk he asked the little girl if, uh, if his business associates had called and he named them by name two men here within the city that he drove down here in fact to see and the little girl at the desk said yes they called and they gave me a number for you to call them back, but I have lost the number. I do not have it. With that, this man was greatly distressed and let this little gal know in no uncertain terms just how distressed and unhappy he was because this was an important call. And he proceeded to tell her why this call was so important. Two businessmen and he had a deal going that he had to have a commitment on it today and and now his two men that he was going to meet with and talk over the business deal to have his project funded he would not be able to do it and this was greatly distressing to him well I spoke what I could to him to calm him down but was of little effect but then after a while the telephone rang and the man at the other end of the line I did not hear but told him I am sure that he had a friend to call this number he wanted to get in touch with him a man in Chicago you uh, call this number and talk to this man man because he has called me and he is interested in an investment and he thinks he would be interested in what you have to offer well the call was put into Chicago and lo and behold the $20,000 that this man needed to fulfill his investment and set the plan into operation for these businessmen this man in Chicago said if you will send me uh, the literature and the form that I need to fill out he said I will have you a check in the mail today for the total of twenty thousand dollars 
Well, of course, my friend was beside himself. He was great elated because he really didn't know whether these other two people here in the city would really be interested in it. And here, one phone call coming out of the blue, so to speak, fulfilled uh, his uh, commitment. And now the business deal was set up and ready to go into effect. I looked at my friend and I said, friend, could it be possible that the Lord in his infinite wisdom knew even before you did uh, that he had a better plan for you than the two men here in the city of Louisville? Think about it. What do we do with our crosses? What do we do with our problems? Do we take it out on someone else? Do we fight it and act ugly and get all steamed up and go off in the wrong direction? Why do we fight against the hand of the living God? Beloved, now we can speculate about this man that was dying here on the cross. How he got there and what he did to get there. But one thing we don't speculate about this morning that we know absolutely for sure. And that is, think about this, that this man was dying with the Savior. He was dying with a Savior. He was dying with the Son of God. He was dying with the Prince of Peace. He was dying with the Messiah. Think of it. And here he is, completely oblivious to who this person is. He had the opportunity to change his cross for a crown. We're not guessing about that. We know this to be a fact because one did. But this man was so tied up within his troubles and his problems and his difficulties that he was completely oblivious to the opportunity that he had, the likes of which that only two people will ever have as long as this world stands our eternity. And that is the privilege to die with a Savior. We throw it away. He threw it away. Not only did he throw his opportunity away, but he threw it away with a snarl and a curse upon his lips. On a tragedy. Those of you who listen to the radio and TV know that... Some time ago, that on one of our leading religious uh, stations, that there was a woman that appeared on the program and told her story that how several years ago that she was fired from a position that she held with a company because the leader, the president of that company, didn't agree with the way that she was going about the business that she was responsible for. And so she was fired. And so she decided in her great distress, well, I'll do it myself and set up my own. And she did. And within the past year or two years, she gave away at one time one million dollars. What do we do with our problems and our difficulties? How do we see them? What do you do with your cross? Can you see Christ or the hand of God? You see many, possibly great people and great lives have died 
and rebellion just as this man of long ago. It's a real possibility. You talk to us as Christians today and, and we talk about our life and you'll hear us say something like this, well, I'm resigned to the will of God. Oh, you hear them say, well, I'm confirmed to the will of God. Oh, that's not good enough. I picture within my mind the way that we ought to be as we think about our commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ and to God and to His will. Picture this if you can. It may be hard for you because of the snow on the ground. But think of a summer day about the 4th of July. And think of a young boy about 10 or 11 years of age and he wanted to go swimming in the morning, but uh, he couldn't because he had to cut the grass. So now the grass has been cut by 11 o'clock, and it's 110 out there. And so he is told, now you can go swimming. And you can see him as he prepares to go swimming. He runs over to the pool, and he's fully dressed, and he runs out beside the pool. Now what does he do? It's hot and sweaty, and, and he looks at that beautiful water. Does he stick his toe in to see how cold it is or his little finger or does he just throw himself into it with all of his strength and all of his power just going in head first beloved that's the way we ought to do in this business of living for the Lord we don't do we live for the Lord resigned to the will of God or conform to it or do we throw ourselves into it with every ounce of strength that we have got gleefully wouldn't it be wonderful? Or would it not have been wonderful if this man could have been finished with his being embittered by the world and his resentment and would have come to his senses long enough to have recognized the man he was dying with? There's another cross there, and that's the cross that Sankster labels as repentance. The penitent cross. How did this man come to this cross? How did he come to this road? We know where he's dying, but where did he come from? How did he get in this position? I think I know. I think this man had a good home. Yes, he had a good home. He was taught right from wrong. Of course he was. He had the, the background and the foundation to know right from wrong, good from bad. But somehow or another, he didn't live up to his expectation of his parents or to what he knew to be right and what he knew to be good. Beloved, I have lived long enough to tell you, and you make no mistake about it, I'm not guessing now, that if you as a parent of a small child and you do not give to them at the earliest hour that they can receive training, the spiritual training that they need and, and the church and the teaching of the Bible, you make one of the biggest mistakes that you'll ever make in this life. You will not have a second opportunity to do it either, brother, to redo it. When it's once done, it is done and it's finished. I can still hear this mother, though it's been years ago, sobbing to me about her daughter that was in serious trouble, saying to me the biggest tragedy that I made and the mistake that I made was not given to her what my mother gave to me, and that is a found the spiritual foundation on which to stand when trouble comes. I did not take her to church. I did not do anything spiritually for her. And so as a result of it, she has nothing on which to stand today, and she didn't. Beloved, 
Let me say to you, you know I've been accused about this place, uh, being a real lover of young people and not caring too much for the older people. Well, that's, that's not right. Uh, that's, that's not fair even. But don't you count your preacher as being, being stupid either. He, uh, sometimes maybe. Well, maybe more than a few times. Anyhow, the thing about it is, now you think with me. Here this man is. We know where he is. Look where he's coming from. I know that I could spend, and I tried to do so uh, previously, to spend and make a great deal of my time with, with, with older people. But I, I, I learned something as a young preacher. You take someone that's reached their 20s and from on from there. Now the only thing that I can really do is encourage you to do what you think you ought to do. Now you're not going to let me change your life. And I'm not going to risk my life on you letting me do it either. You're not going to do it. Now, that's all I can do. I can spend 365 days out of the year, and I can encourage you to do what you have purposed already within your heart to do. And if I get in your way, you're going to tell me, now, preacher, just move over. Like I've had people tell me, I remember this man telling me, preacher, don't bother me coming out here. Go on and talk to somebody else, some young people that you can have some influence over. He said, I'm going to do what I want to do. Now, go on, leave me alone. Well, you know, we don't quite that rude, most of us, but that's about the way it is. We're already signed, sealed, and we're going to live it out this way. A little here, a little there. But now, that's not so with young people. That's not so. Perhaps, beloved, the greatest thing that we could possibly do is to do what we're doing here. Come to your church Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday and do what's taking place within this church. It's with little people. Now, you may not like it. And you know, they sort of get on. I'm old enough, I'm a grandpa, and it's hard to be, and so on. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it doesn't make any difference. If we are in the business to really to win people to the Lord Jesus Christ and to set up this community to love God, we will do it with our children. Parents, if you don't do it, listen to what I'm saying. If you don't do it now, don't look for it to be a change in their life when they're 15 years of age. It's over. It's done. It's finished. I would lead this church, if you would permit me to do it, anything that we could possibly do to gain influence over our children before they reach the age of 12. Let us, let us be considered, or let us consider need to really to place our hands. Not that we don't love one another or love older people. That's so unjust and so unfair. It's not so. But are we thinking about leading people to Christ? This man, he knew right from wrong. You know, it's a black spot upon the human race. It really is a crucifixion. But there was one man outside of Pilate that lifted his voice in defense of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a thief had gone astray. A man had gone astray, dying on a cross. He heard this other cat over there. I put the Lord Jesus Christ down and he rebuked him. In effect, to luck. We're here because justly so. But here's a man that's guilty. There's something within inside of him, the sin that he had been caught up in had not blunted his sensitive soul. And he recognized that Jesus was different. And he said, Jesus, 
That's one of the gospel for Jesus. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, stopped in the midst of dying, Jesus did. He, he loved him so too. He was in the process of dying. Jesus stopped dying. I could see it in my eye. And said to this man, today you will be Ponder that. You cannot separate a child from what they know to be good. Now that's not the same as saying they're going to live up to it. The Bible a long time ago, a man 4,000 years ago understood that and it's written in the scripture. Train up a child in the way he shall go and when he goes he will not depart from it. That's what the man was talking about 4,000 years ago. It's still valid, still true today. You see, he remembered. He had a base on which to make judgment. And he knew that he was in the presence of something unusual. And he swapped his cross for a crown. Think of that. Thanks for listening. Hope you were blessed. We pray the Holy Spirit will make you a doer of his words, finishing the work he started and making you more like Christ for the transformation of this world and preparation for heaven.